Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Friends, we are coming to the final installment of our four-part series on the first four chapters of Genesis. Today we hear the story of Cain and Abel, and you're going to be invited to think about yeah, what it means to be human and how this ancient story uh, reveals so much to us about the character of God, uh, the nature of free will, the presence of evil and death and sin within our world, and yet also at the same time, uh, God's gracious actions to keep the world from spiraling into violence. I really hope you enjoy it. This was a fun one. I, this whole series has been super fun uh, for me to record. I hope it's given you some interesting things to think about. As always, uh, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or a rating that does help other people find the podcast or, or just share um, the link to this episode on your social media channels. Let other people know that this is a great way for them to connect and learn and grow in their faith when they might be traveling and away from church this summer. That's really why we put this podcast out is so that you have a way to connect with your faith even when you can't be in church, um, even in those days between the Sundays. So I'm going to turn it over now to myself. (laughs) I'm the one leading this Bible study on Genesis chapter 4. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening here to the Together for Good podcast. We are continuing on in our summer series, and we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 4. This is the final installment. These first four chapters of Genesis really lay out some really interesting pieces about the human situation and really point out in these original stories some of the issues that still live within us today that we still struggle with. Uh, This is the story, the famous story of Cain and Abel. Uh, So last week we had uh, Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit and now we move along. They're outside the garden and they have some children named Cain and Abel and what happens with these, the, the second generation of human beings in the world? Well, the problems of the second generation are not that different from some of the problems that we still face today. That, that's why I love and wanted to do this series on the first four chapters of Genesis is just because I think there's so much wisdom in these ancient stories that still is so applicable. It's, it's the same issues that we're dealing with that really, I think, it is powerful to see the ways um, that, that humanity is so similar, <laughs> even across thousands of years, that the things we struggle with today, uh, while it have, might have some variations on a theme, it's not that different. So let's get right into it, shall we? We're going to read through Genesis chapter 4, and as we like to do, I'll just kind of go verse by verse. Now, the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Okay, so notice uh, that here in verse 1, Adam is referred to as the man. What's really funny about that, Adam still to this point in the Bible does not have a name. Eve has been given a name, but still the original human man is not yet uh, with any sort of name. Uh, I just think that's really interesting. Um, It's not until way later in verse 25, that's the first place in all of scripture where Adam is given a real name and not just referred to as the man. Um, And notice, though, but we we won't focus on that little detail that much. Just an interesting piece of information for you. Uh, But Eve bears her first child, names him Cain, and gives thanks to God and acknowledges God's role in the birth of her child. So this is a big theme. We talked about it last week as well. 
um, and certainly comes up in the way that Genesis 1 and 2 are written, co-creation, that God creates the world and then we continue as human beings to create alongside and with God's help that this is a real part of what it means to be human, is to continue to create uh, and, and to continue um, to bring forth life into the world in various ways. I, I just love focusing on that because I think it, it gives us a new way of looking at some of the creative endeavors that we still might take part in. If you write poetry, if you love to paint or to draw, um, if you love to build things, I think that all of that can be looked at as a spiritual practice in ways. You, you are co-creating with God. The character of God is as a generous, creative force. That's a part of who God is. And then we also get to take part in that when we create. I, I do think that there's something very holy and sacred just about taking time. Yeah, maybe you just doodle in a notebook. Um, but you could view that as a prayer practice. I often do and, and find that that can be very um, a really neat way of connecting with God. right? By us creating ourselves, this act of co-creation. Uh, connects us with God, our creator. Okay, enough about that. Let's keep going. Verse two. Next, Eve bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a tiller of the ground. Okay, what this is setting up for us, though, it, it is a real rivalry. Two brothers. Oh, that's the story as old as time. Two brothers are always fighting with one another. Um, you've got Cain and Abel. Later on, we'll have Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, after that, we'll have Jacob and Esau. You get the idea. This two-brother rivalry thing is kind of common within the Hebrew Bible. But additionally, we hear that Abel is a shepherd and Cain is a farmer. Shepherds and farmers are probably not two people you know today. You know, the, the farming industry has been industrialized and not a lot of shepherds walking around uh, Metro Denver or wherever you might find yourself. Uh, but uh, in ancient times, yeah, that was a real rivalry. The shepherds and the farmers, because the shepherds would allow their sheep to go and graze in the farmers' fields. And so in ancient times, this was a real struggle and conflict often between the two. And, and that's part of what's being set up here is that there will, yes, if you were, the you know, in... in in ancient times, listening to this story, you would pick up on that right away. Like, oh, wait, so one of the brothers is a farmer and one is a shepherd? There's going to be trouble. There's some real foreshadowing going on. It's interesting to note that Cain, though, is the bad guy in this story, as we'll hear. And yet, there's joy over his birth, right? It even says that right there in verse 1, conceived by son, saying, I produced a man with the help of the Lord. Sounds like this joyful statement. And then there's just this aside. And next, his brother Abel. Um, it's just interesting that there's joy applied to Cain's birth, but not to Abel's birth. It's probably the narrator's way of highlighting the fact that Cain is going to be the focus of this story, that Abel's sort of a minor character, and that a lot of this revolves around Cain and his own emotional, personal struggles. Um, it also, um, yeah, okay, so I, I'm just checking my notes, forgive me. Yes, we, we've highlighted already the, the rivalry between shepherds and farmers. So let's keep going. We're going to read a few verses here now. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. 
All right, so Cain and Abel both bring offerings to God without being told to do so. Good on them. Yeah, they knew to be giving back to their creator in this way. Uh, it's almost as if that's ingrained within us. I, I like to look at a lot of these original stories and just think about, okay, how much of this is, is articulating some of these innate human qualities? Is it a human need to, to, to give back? to the one who created us? Is there something with us, uh, in us that desires to be generous? And yet the ways of the world is what often beats that generosity out of us. I think there is. I think God created us to be generous people. And when we can really hone in on that innate generosity, that that's a really uh, powerful place to be living from. Certainly that seems to be the case with Cain and Abel. They just knew to bring an offering to God. But at no point in the scriptures has God mandated yet any sort of worship or sacrifice. Again, this is just something that is hardwired within them. I share this quote. Um, this is a quote from Rick Warren, who is a pastor um, of a church and controversial figure in some ways. Uh, he wrote the book Purpose Driven Life, which sold a billion copies. No, literally, I think it almost a billion book is good and not good in different ways. I have a lot of opinions about it. But um, one of the things that Rick Warren really highlights is this sense of like the innate uh, inborn piece of us that just longs to worship and connect with God. And so here's a quote from um, Rick Warren. He says, anthropologists have noted that worship is a universal urge hardwired by God into the very fiber of our being, an inbuilt need to connect with God. Worship is as natural as eating or breathing. If we fail to worship God, we always find a substitute, even if it ends up being ourselves. Wow, what a powerful statement. And yeah, we see it with Cain and Abel here. I was already talking about the innate generosity. Yeah, you could also talk about it, an innate need to, to worship and connect with God. And I love Warren's point. If we don't worship God, we'll end up worshiping something else, even if it's ourselves. Powerful words. Um, one other piece, just to note here, not much, there's not much description in these verses about Cain's sacrifice, but Abel's sacrifice is described in detail. Abel brought a firstling of his flock, their fat portions. Um, that's what it says about Abel's gift and Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So it's, it's interesting what, what we bring to the Lord should not just be an afterthought. And then that seems to be what the author is really wanting us to see here is Cain, sure, you know, brought something in worship just because, whereas Abel really was intentional and focused and brought the first of his flock, the first fruits of his labors, and the very best portions, the fat portions. Um, and it seems that this is why Abel's sacrifice was pleasing and Cain's was not. So good reminder, what we bring to God shouldn't just be an afterthought. God would love, you know, longs for us to bring our very, very best into that relationship, into our life of worship, into our uh, practice of our faith. God wants us to bring our best and to not just have it be something that, oh yeah, by the way, I guess I'll do that. Good. Okay, moving along in our story. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Whew. So God graciously lays out two options here for Cain. You have two choices when things in your life don't go your way. We can accept that sometimes things won't work out for us, or 
we can allow those difficulties of life to lead us into sin. What a powerful framing, right? Again, such a human situation. We all come across things in life that don't go our way, that make us mad or upset, that don't seem fair or just. This is going to happen again and again in our life. And the way that God talks to Cain about it is like, okay, like you can understand this, that life won't always go your way, or you can allow the thing that didn't go your way to to lead you down a, a, a poor path, to lead you to sinfulness. And I think that's something to keep in mind, um, that we have to. It doesn't mean that we should accept um, when things in life seem unjust or unfair. We can always be working for greater justice within our society and in in our world. Um, But in the same sense, it's always trying to also make sure that in our passion, in our rage, that we don't fall into sinful behavior. That at times also we just understand, yes, that the world is a complicated and difficult place. And that we, um, that just because something did not work out the way we might have hoped, that doesn't give us reason to then stray from our practice of faith, our relationship with God, um, stray into sinful behavior. Um, a few other little details on these two verses. Um, this is the first time that sin is mentioned in the scriptures. Uh, We certainly talked about sin a lot last week in Genesis 3, but this is the first time that it's specifically stated. And the message is pretty simple, right? Like life will be filled with moments where seemingly unfair circumstances arrive, and then we have a choice. God will not choose for us, right? God does not choose for Cain. God kind of lays out the choice. It is a real establishment of free will, that we have the opportunity to make mistakes or correct choices, faithful choices for ourselves. Um, and that's up to us. Like God gives us the options. Um, I really love that that is articulated so clearly in this story of God presenting the options to Cain. All right, let's see what Cain chooses to do. Do you know? I think uh, we all have a sense of how this is going to end. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So at this point, uh, death has not yet been introduced into the world, right? And notice that it's not God who introduces death into the world. Death has been brought about by human action. God is a God of life, not a God of death. However, God gives humans freedom to make their own choices, to make their own mistakes, to make their own evils. Evil and death do not come from God. That is clearly how this story has been written. The first of many Bible stories about the conflict between brothers. This is the first of many Bible stories about the conflict between brothers. And in every single one of the stories, it's always the younger brother um, who's the sympathetic character. When it's Isaac and Jacob, it's Jacob, or sorry, <laughs> Isaac and Jacob, Isaac and Ishmael. Um, Isaac, the younger brother, is the one who is prioritized. Jacob and Esau, Jacob, the younger brother, is the one who is prioritized. Um, Joseph and all of his brothers, it's Joseph who is prioritized. And right here, it is Abel, who's the sympathetic character, who's killed by his his older brother, who chose evil when presented with the options. I think this is a really important point as we think about theodicy. 
okay? Um, theodicy is this fancy word for basically like why do good things, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, and really what it kind of is, is articulating here, God is not the one who brings about the evil of this world. God is the one that creates and gives life and provides humans with freedom. And then it is the destructive human choices that so often lead to death and suffering within our world. That, that might seem strange. You know, you think about natural disasters and it's like, wait, but what about all that? But we're finding, right? Climate, sci climate scientists are telling us that a lot of human action, the burning of fossil fuels is the what's resulting in all of these destructive weather patterns. Um, something like really awful, like cancer that just seems to rise up within the human body without us realizing it. A lot of scientists are, are discovering ways that certain materials that we've used within our society, um, maybe corners that were cut here or there, oftentimes those actions are what result in cancers developing in people. Again, it, it, I'm overly simplifying a lot of this, um, but I do think that... Um, that's part of what this Cain and Abel story is trying to help us see is that, yeah, death exists in the world because of human decisions. Even going back to last week with, with Adam and Eve, their decision to eat from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, their decision to think that they can be the arbiters of good and evil within the world rather than trusting in God. That's what got them kicked out of the garden. That's what resulted in, you know, shame and guilt rising up in the world. I, I just think that's really powerful and really uh, an incredible way to think about our human existence. A lot of these things that we struggle with, God presents us with the options to make good choices and it is our human frailty that so often leads us astray from choosing life, from choosing, you know, the, the way God hopes we might live. And the more we can make these good choices for God's intended hope for our existence, the, the better off the world would be. Let's keep going. Let's find out what happens next. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So, just like with Adam and Eve in the garden, as we studied last week, God knows full well what's happened and calls out to Cain, kind of giving Cain another chance to be honest about all of this. And Cain's response is extremely disrespectful. Am I my brother's keeper? Um, am I the keeper of men is how this is translated. That's often a title associated with God. God is the keeper of men. So these words from Cain to say like, am I my brother's keeper? It's sort of spitting in the face of God, kind of saying like, how should I know where Abel is? That's your job, God. An extremely disrespectful response. And so here's what happens. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Blood crying out from the ground. This is a phrase that will appear elsewhere in the scriptures, always as a symbol of injustice. The idea is that since blood is the source of life that comes from God, spilled blood is not part of God's plan and thus cries out to God for action. The Old Testament is filled with stories of people who are being unjustly treated, crying out to God for help and salvation. And God so often responds and hears those cries. 
when humans make poor decisions and choose death and evil and suffering, the blood that is spilled cries out to God. The injustice that is carried out cries out to God and God hears it and responds. God is a God who cares for the oppressed and the vulnerable and the beaten down and the forgotten. This is a continual theme of the scriptures and we see it right here in chapter 4, this first story of human injustice in the world and, it, and, and that blood cries out to God and God responds. And God's words to Cain, what have you done? Here's what happens next. And now, God says, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So just like with Adam and Eve in chapter 3, God does not curse Cain directly. But rather, it is the ground that becomes cursed. Cain's very livelihood, right? He is the tiller of the ground. His very source for food and purpose is now cursed and taken away from him. He will be a wanderer forever out of place. This is the judgment lobbied against Cain for his unjust and cruel actions. Now moving on to 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and anyone who meets me may kill me. So a better translation for punishment here. My punishment is greater than I can bear. A better translation would be the consequences of my sin are too much to bear. Cain recognizes that he has been sentenced to die as a result of his sinfulness. That's how he caught someone may kill me. It's ironic that that's what he would say after he just killed his brother. But his sin has ruined his brother and his family and now his own personal purpose and source of livelihood. And so this is also an instructive moment in this story. It's helping us to see that there is consequence for our sin, that God gives us the option to choose good or evil. And when we choose evil, there is consequence. And oftentimes that consequence not only affects us and our purpose and our sense of livelihood and well-being and security in the world, but also it affects our family. It affects, you know, the very area that we inhabit. There is consequence for our sin. I really love um, my the way that we talk about, we, we use a program um, loosely here at Bethany called Godly Play, which is a way of teaching uh, Bible stories to elementary students. And in Godly Play, they don't talk about the Ten Commandments. The way that it's uh, that story is told in Godly Play, it's called the Ten Best Ways. And I really love that. When we think of Ten Commandments, it's just like, oh, this is something you must do. But the Ten Best Ways is like, yeah, this is the way God wants you to live. Because when we don't follow the Ten Commandments, when we don't follow the Ten Best Ways, there are consequences for our sin, as we see with Abel. When we don't follow the Ten Best Ways, well, suddenly our life is not the best that it could be. There are ramifications and struggles and difficulties that come as a result of our unfaithfulness. Okay, almost done here. Moving on. And then the Lord said to Cain, not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Interesting. 
So God promises to not let anyone kill Cain. God makes efforts to stop violence from spiraling out of control. God will be Abel's brother's keeper. God's mercy embraces even the murderer. It's just interesting how all of these pieces, right, play and kind of shift later on. It's very clear that God does not want murder and death to become the ways of the world, the ways of humanity, and so puts a very clear um, protection upon Cain. And again, I love the way that my commentary talked about it. God will be Abel's brother's keeper. Cain's the one who originally said, am I my brother's keeper? In a really disrespectful moment. And God kind of turns that around and decides to protect Cain, to keep the world from spiraling into violence. All right, just two more verses here. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and named it Enoch after his son, Enoch. Interesting. So we find out that Cain settles in Nod. And yet, wasn't the punishment from God that Cain would be a wanderer? And yet he settled in a town. And then in verse 17, we learn that Cain has a wife. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, just an interesting detail. Like, where did Cain's wife come from? I thought that Adam and Eve were the original human beings. Did God create other humans elsewhere? Like, where is this, you know, Cain's clearly been kicked out of, his parents were kicked out of the garden, and then Cain was kind of kicked out of his family to wander, but somehow he found a wife. Just a strange detail to try and piece together. But also strange, again, that he settles in Nod when God had, you know, cursed him to be a wanderer. But here's the thing. Nod means wandering. Although Cain has settled, his heart was still wandering. He was never the same after this event with his brother. It's just kind of showing, the author's way of showing us the ongoing effects of our sinfulness. That, you know, something as awful as the murder of your brother, that 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 will forever change your heart and your soul, leaving you wandering. Even if you, you know, come to settle in a city physically, there is still a wandering nature to you and your existence in this world. So there you go. That is the first four chapters of Genesis. Today was just chapter four, the story of Cain and Abel. But I hope this entire series has helped you to see uh, just the rich details of this scripture and how much is actually hidden there between the lines. And when we slow down to study it like this, how much we can gain from it. And again, I just, more than anything, I love recording these Bible studies for all of you because I think the Bible really can, even though it is an ancient document, it teaches us about what it means to be human. It teaches us about who God is and how we can understand our relationship with God in this world and how we can just understand our human predicament, the things that humans have been struggling with since the beginning of time, and yet also the things that God has written into our very being, right? We were created for worship, um, yet and yet we are continually presented with the option to choose life or death. Um, God gives us this free will, and when we choose uh, the sinful path, it results in all sorts of struggle, not just for us, uh, but for our families, uh, for our livelihood, for our world as a whole. 
Um, so there you go. Hope you've enjoyed this. Thanks for listening as always. Hey, share this with family and friends. Uh, let people know about the podcast. A great way to stay connected with your faith throughout these summer months when you might be traveling or elsewhere. Um, hopefully you can listen to this on a nice drive uh, to your vacation home or wherever it might find you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay in peace.